Welcome to the Facts Versus Feelings podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sonu Varghese. Each week, we dive into the important market-moving events and cut through the noise to help you, as an investor, identify what really matters. Let's get this show started. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to Sonu's twins. Happy birthday to you. Sonu, you had some birthdays in the house, right? How old are they, the twins? Yeah, six years old. Uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. It's six years. Uh, gone. It's amazing how quickly these things, uh, time passes, really. And we've been celebrating. The kids have been looking forward to their birthday for, you know, ever since uh, their last birthday passed. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I want this cake. I want that cake. And uh, they finally got to do it all. And so it's it was a blast. They got to hang out with their friends, cousins, all of that. And it, it was a good uh, time. I mean, over we celebrated for probably three days or so. Goodness. I mean, you know the drill. I mean, you have kids, too. Yeah, there's a and lot. birthdays. Yeah, my birthday's later this month. One son's birthday is September. Another one's October. I'm October. Anniversary is October. My daughter's early November. My wife is December. And then it's holiday season. So I do all I can to help keep the economy going during birthday season. But Sonu, you know, there's so much to talk about in the Facts versus Feelings podcast. This is, I believe, our fifth one. So thank you to everybody out there who's listening to this podcast. We've had some real good numbers. We're going to keep on doing it. We're titled this one, So Good It Is Bad. What we mean by that, of course, is we're apparently are in a new world where bad news is good news and good news is bad news. We have that strong jobs number. We're going to talk about that. Market sold off pretty hard on that. Um, you know, but let's just start things off, Sona, with the markets, right? Once again, we, we've had this incredible volatility. Uh, you know, markets continue to bounce. And then just as quickly, you, you pull the football away with Lucy and Charlie Brown. But we keep struggling. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about the jobs number, but what in the world's going on? I mean, is this just normal for October to be this volatile? I I think you've written about this in the past, like September and rolling into October, right? Hopefully yeah. we see it end sooner rather than later. But I think the big piece of it is the bond market continues to be so volatile. I mean, yields are, you know, like one year, two year yields are at the highest levels you've seen in 15 years, right? And it's not really a problem about, you know, these things are close to about 420, 4.2%, 4.3%. It's not really about the level, I think. It's about how quickly it's gotten there that's a problem, if that makes sense. Uh, good point. I mean, we, we literally have had some of the largest moves ever when you look at what's happened to yields. We've talked before some of the worst moves in bonds. But, I mean, just just you know, just earlier this week, Jamie Dimon came out and said he could see another 20% pullback in stocks and sees potentially a recession in six to nine months. I mean, this guy is one of the most influential CEOs, one of the largest banks. When someone like that says, you kind of have to listen to him. Uh, you know, NASDAQ just broke down to yeah, new two-year lows. Right? Yeah, well, yeah, NASDAQ just made two-year lows. Semiconductors breaking down. I mean, the truth is there's a lot of bad news. So potentially some good news, though. We hit, talked about this a little bit last week, but I want to talk about it again. October is a bear market killer, right? Six, uh, sorry, the last 17 bear markets, six of them bottomed in the month of October. 74 and 2002 were the worst starts to year ever other than this year. They both bottomed within the first two weeks of October. Trust me, things weren't looking very good then either, much like they are now. It's all about those expectations are so, so low. We probably do need to see some type of a minor pivot with the Fed, and maybe it could be this week's inflation data that we're going to see if inflation starts to come down sooner. But the truth, again, fourth quarter historically is positive. So new, my question to you, fourth quarter is usually positive, right, usually strong. 
If you look at the 10 worst starts through year, the fourth quarter was higher, nine of them, only 2008. We didn't gain in the fourth quarter. What's your, if you have a crystal ball, if you haven't broken it, do you think we could have um, a well-deserved bounce after just a really rough start to this year? I think so. Uh, just going by, you know, the stuff you've written and that I've read. <laughs> uh, but looking at, you know, we have, uh, if you think we keep talking about this, right? The Fed, right? And uh, they've been, they've tightened so hard. They Last week, we, you know, the week before we had, you know, 20 plus speeches by Fed officials, right? That's a lot. And almost all of them came out and pretty much all of them, not even almost all of them came out and said, oh, we want to tighten rates. We're not going to ease up anytime soon. So it was interesting. The most recent speech was by Lyle Brennard, who's sort of like, you know, after Jerome Powell as a Fed chair, she's like the second person, you know, uh, in line there at the Fed, right? So she she put out a note of caution saying, you know, we've raised rates a lot and we need to maybe look at how it's working and how it's impacting the economy. So I think that's some cause for caution on their part, I think. I mean, we'll see how far it goes. But uh, look, before their December meeting, we've got three inflation reports, three more uh, consumer price index reports coming out. And uh, if things go the way you and I think they'll go with respect to, you know, supply chain uh, issues being resolved, used car prices coming down, things like that, uh, we may get a little bit of a breather even from them, from the Fed. Exactly. I mean, Final comment on this, probably the Fed. Uh, Waller from the Fed last week said uh, the Fed policy is not slowing and not likely to pause. Kashkari, who used to be one of the biggest doves, now he's one of the biggest hawks, uh, says we're quite a ways away from a pause in rate hikes. Bostic, down in Atlanta Fed, uh, said, quote unquote, not so fast on rate cuts in 2023. And then Daly also said, uh, Mary Daly, I think she's San Francisco, said no rate cuts in yes. 2023. So the truth is, the Fed, this time 15 months ago, they were all dovish for the most part, maybe a few hawks in there, but that was the language. Now they've come full circle. So the Fed is not infallible. The Fed is not perfect. It's all about what's priced in, and maybe we can get some better news. And, yeah, they're still going to hike, but maybe they don't hike quite as much, which could kick off uh, potentially a major low. And two final comments on this. Small caps have not broken down the new lows, at least at the time we're recording this. There's some leadership out of small caps. That's probably a good sign. Also, high-yield spreads, investment corporate spreads, and the credit markets, those spreads have not blown out above where they were in June earlier. So we're – you know, we see some potential positives under the surface that you need to be aware of. Um, so, do, you know, so let's move forward, though. We're going to talk about kind of along these same lines, employment, because last week on Monday and Tuesday had an incredible rally, 5.7% rally in the S&P 500, the best start to any quarter since the second quarter in 1938. I was not around back then, but I've seen the history books. The second half of 1938, stocks did actually really well. So it kicked off a pretty strong seasonal uh, period. Um, nonetheless, then we come on Thursday and Friday, stocks did really poorly. And really on Friday, because that employment number came in, which brings the theme to this week's podcast, again, so good it is bad. The numbers came in a little bit better than expected, yet the market sold off on that. What did, You've had some time to digest it. What do you think about that employment number? I mean, it's all good, right? Like that that's the crazy part of it, right? Mm-hmm. So look, we always expected payrolls. Uh, we've talked about it over here as well. We thought, okay, you know, the economy is not going to continue creating jobs at a rate of half a million per month, which is where it was in July. And then in August, it slowed down to about 300,000 plus or so. And then September, the report you were just talking about when it came out, 
263,000 jobs. And on the private sector, it was actually higher. The government sector fell by about 25,000. So we were still very close to 300,000 private sector payroll gains uh, for September. Look, this is a really strong report. We had the unemployment rate fall from 3.7% to 3.5%, right? And that's matching the pre-pandemic low back in February, Jan, Feb of 2020, unemployment rate was at 3.5%. And that's the lowest in 50 years, right? And the good news is that the unemployment rate because it fell because more people found jobs. The size of the labor force, and talk about that, uh, is growing at twice the pace it's been growing pre-crisis, right? It's growing about 2%, 2% uh, over the past year. Pre-crisis, before the pandemic, it was growing about 1%. So twice the pace now. And then if you look at things like prime age employment population ratio, so this is another metric, right? The unemployment rate measures, okay, how many people are unemployed as a percent of the labor force? But the employment population ratio looks at, okay, how many people are employed as a percent of the working age population? So it avoids some of the problems of, you know, demographics, early retirements, people leaving the labor force because of, say, childcare issues, uh, long COVID, things like that. That's above 80%, right? That's what the economy averaged back in 2019. And, you know, I think there's room for improvement. So all in all, this is a really strong report. Big picture, 3.8 million jobs, Ryan, created in 2022. That's huge. Yeah, I mean, that's, I believe we've got a shot. You know, he's telling me there's a chance. We've got a chance at the second most jobs ever created this year, right? Yeah. If we add another half million, which isn't, Abnormal. Exactly. Add another half million over the next three months. So that's what an average of about 160,000 plus, Mm -hmm. uh, slightly above that over the next three months, October, November, December. And then 2022 will be the second best year of job creation behind 2021, which got a big boost coming out of COVID since 1940. Wow. That's 83 years. Uh, and And we've mentioned this stat before, but I think it's important to point out again, you know, when you have 3 million jobs created, 17 times, there's never been a recession that year. So another reason I think we're probably not in recession. 16 out of 17 times, the following year was not in a recession. Only the 73, 74 recession that you fall into recession after you gained more than 3 million jobs. So again, the economy is not perfect. We're not saying it is. But you see this strong of employment, that's a, a really positive sign. Now, now, Sonu, you know, one more question for you, then we'll move forward. I mean, are we truly in a bad news is good news world? I mean, that's what it seems like. What, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, at, at least going by what the mar- how the you know how the market digested mm-hmm. this report, right? Yep. That we just talked about, it, it looked like that exactly. Look, the thing, the problem is the Fed said unemployment is going to head towards four and a half percent because you're raising rates. We think that we want the economy to slow down, and how. Will the economy slow down? This is their theory, right? Strong employment means the labor market is tight, right? That Mm -hmm. means, you know, uh, supply is less than demand in terms of labor, which means wage growth is high. That means people are earning more. And so they're going to spend more and that's driving inflation. And they want to reverse that whole process, right? So they said, okay, we're going to tighten rates. Unemployment is going to head towards four and a half percent. But look, the unemployment rate went the other way. Right. Instead of job losses, we're seeing employment growth. So what the market thinks is like, oh, the Fed's just going to keep turning the dial higher and higher and higher and keep having to ratchet up 
interest rates to bring down inflation. I, I think that's where that's why the market took it as bad news. So answer this, though. On Tuesday of last week, we had the jolts number at the job openings. It dropped over almost 10 percent, almost a million from a ballpark, 11 million to 10 million. We had a huge rally, one of the strongest breath rallies we've ever seen. Actually, last Monday and Tuesday, 293 to one was the up versus down volume. That is historically strong. You got to look December of uh, uh, 18. Um, December of 12, August of 11, and August of 82 were the, I'm sorry, November of 11, and then August of 82, the only times we've seen breath that strong in a two-day period, all right? Those were not the worst times to be accumulating. I'll just put it that way. But very quickly, because we want to move forward, the jolts numbers seem to say a different story than what Friday's jobs number told us, right? Did I see that correctly? I would say you combine all that and we actually have very good news, right? So the JOLT survey is the job opening and labor turnover survey, right? It measures, you know, how many job openings there are, how many people are quitting voluntarily, how many people are getting laid off, things like that. All of that very positive, right? So job openings hit a peak of just under 12 million back in March and it's down to 10 million now. So that's, you know, job openings. Uh, You think of this as, you know, the demand for labor, basically, Uh, employees putting out job opening, you know, on Indeed, LinkedIn, things like that, right? Job openings have dropped by 1.8 million between March and September, March and August, really. Look, this has never, and the unemployment rate has basically stayed about three and a half, three point six percent 3.6%. This has never happened before, Ryan. Usually such a big, massive fall in openings has occurred only during recessions. And during that time, obviously, during recessions, we see the unemployment rate going up. And it makes sense, right? If employers need less labor, you think they'll be less hiring, and eventually they'll start letting people go, raising the unemployment rate. Now, even if you look at initial claims for unemployment insurance benefits, that's also at all-time lows, right? So all of this stuff is positive, right? Powell's mentioned the job openings to unemployment unemployed workers ratio. That was at 2.0. Yep. Uh, that was a peak a couple of months ago. That's down below 1.7. So demand is following is following right now. And supply is rising. The labor force is rising, as I mentioned before, right? So technically, this combination of data is not supposed to happen according to orthodox economic theory or even the Fed's theory. That's why they said, oh, you know, unemployment rate is going to go up. Are you saying markets are not efficient? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think we, we, wouldn't, we, we wouldn't have jobs if they were, I think, probably. But. Hey, we, we, you know, you learn something new all the time, right? right. So, But look, this is basically the soft land, dare I say, the soft landing scenario, right? And I think one, that, one thing that's happening also from the JOLTS data is that uh, the quits, the number of people quitting their jobs is coming down. So that you know, the people quitting their jobs surged after the pandemic. The quit rate, right? This is the number of quits as a percent of total employment. That hit 3% late, you know, like November last year. That was a big source of wage growth, right? Uh, a lot of people are quitting their jobs for better pay. Mm-hmm. But now the quit rate has come down to about from 3% to 2.7%. It was about 2.4% before the crisis. But, you know, it's a pretty convincing downtrend. And I think we are seeing wage growth soften because yeah. of that. And that's positive for inflation with respect to demand no good discussion there i think it was buffett buffett who said i'm gonna paraphrase it he said you know if everything you need is in the history books the librarians would be all the millionaire and billionaires so you know sometimes (laughs) something random happens and that's what it is but you know speaking of a random and you mentioned the word fall update remember last week i said i was uh, walking my dog thurman 15 and a half years old he can see he can't hear anything he's he's old he's about a well 
He was an 80-pound dog. Now he's about 60-pound wow. dog. But he's still kicking a little bit. Anyway, I was walking him a week ago and stubbed the you-know-what out of my toe. My toe is fine. There's my update on my toe because last okay. week when you and I did this, I was in some major pain. But my wife and daughter went to New York City for fall break this weekend. I was with the boys, so I was in charge of Thurman. Middle of the night, I hear this horrible crash and thud. Thurman went down the steps by himself. He never does that. In the middle of the night, by the way. I go down. He's at the bottom of the steps. I thought he killed himself going down the steps. He was actually right. fine. It's amazing. But that's my uh, Thurman update. So who knows how much longer we talk about old Thurman. But he's a, he's a good boy, just a little Is bit older. Is he a good guard dog? Not anymore. No, he, he's, <laughs> I don't know what he's good at anymore. He's good at sleeping. <laughs> he, he was. He was a good dog, a guard dog. But uh, let's move forward here. Um, U.S. dollar. I want to talk about U.S. dollar. Because U.S. dollar has been so strong this year, like the strongest year in history, looking at the spot in U.S. dollar, more than 1997 when we had the Asian contagion and some major issues. All the stocks did well in 97. But Sono, it just feels to me like that every time we have dollar strength, it's kind of a risk-off scenario. We've seen it in 2008. We saw it in 2020. A strong dollar tends to mean um, risk assets don't do as well. I think we need the Fed to kind of become a little, potentially a little bit more dovish, like we said, need some inflation data. But maybe in today, we just need the dollar to stop going up like it continues to do right. to show some confidence coming in. Now, I'm going to make sure I read this correctly, Sonu. I love looking at market sentiment, right? If everyone's thinking alike, somebody mm-hmm. isn't thinking, said Patton. Um, I know I wrote it down somewhere here. Here we go. Barron's had a picture of George Washington this weekend with big muscles flexing. Reminded me of The Economist, December of 2016. Similar thing with George Washington flexing. Take a wild guess. A dollar peaked and went straight down for a long time after that. Business Week, the week before, said a dollar is so strong. Or how did it word it? It said, uh, U.S. dollar can't stop, won't stop. It sure feels to me like we've got some contrarian signals that the dollar could be near a major peak. What do you think on that? And what, what, so from a fundamental point of view, what could it take for the dollar to start going down finally, potentially helping risk assets? You know, uh, what's funny about uh, the sentiment being like, oh, the dollar is, you know, king dollar, yep, right? King it's dollar, a, yeah. Strong dollar, <laughs> king dollar. But beginning of the year, I don't know if you remember, a lot of people were short the dollar, short as in they were negative. They oh, thought yeah. the dollar would go down, right? right? And then right. you get the Ukraine crisis. Look, from a macro perspective, I think about the dollar is, sure, interest rates here, the Fed's rising, raising rates much more than everybody else. So you get, you know, higher interest rates in the U.S. So, you know, if you're around the world, why wouldn't you buy dollars to get more, you know, higher rate of interest than any other currency, right? But that ultimately reflects the fact that the U.S. economy is just stronger than everybody else right. at this point. You get a better return on your capital over here at this point because, you know, yes, it's safe for one thing. That, that's an added benefit, right? But, uh, you know, the U.S. is just growing much more. We literally talk about the employment situation, right? Uh, that wouldn't happen if the U.S. economy wasn't strong. Uh, never mind the last two quarters of GDP growth, all of that. I mean, you know, 3.8 million jobs this year is nothing to scoff at, right? That's not the case around the world, right? That is not the case around the world. So the question is for the dollar to come, you know, start going the other direction or at least stop going up, right? right? I I think uh, other countries really have to, I think investors have to feel that, okay, economies around the world have, you know, getting into a recession, maybe. uh, I think Europe probably already is in the middle of one. Uh, China struggling uh, and several Asian countries who are reliant on exports and tech, and we talk about semiconductors, uh, Taiwan, South Korea, places like that, they're also struggling now. So I, I think 
that has to stop basically that that growth differential right between the us and all these countries i mean once that differential stops expanding basically right i i think that's when the dollar will start to ease up a little bit and and that's when the fed will ease up as well yeah i think right? the fed needs to ease up we've seen you know, obviously other central banks a lot of central banks starting to hike so the fed kind of led if you will in in this that's caused the strength in mm-hmm. our currency i've said before that the us dollar is the cleanest shirt in the dirty laundry we've heard for a long time all of the trade deficits budget deficits going to going to lead to massive deflation and then the dollar is going to get killed and all these different things and that clearly has it been has it been playing out uh, when you think of it like that? But one other thing, and I I don't totally get this. I'll be honest. I've always heard, and what we've read in our history books, right? Um, you know, a strong dollar is deflationary. Yeah, we've got a strong dollar and forty year highs in inflation. Can you explain to me, Sonu, what in the world that means? Want to know more about the impact the twenty twenty four election may have on the markets and the economy? We'll be covering everything advisors and their clients need to know in the lead-up to Election Day, including what to expect from the markets, news out of Washington, and what historically happens after elections. You can find all of our 2024 election content at carsongroup.com slash election. Look, you would think that's the case because we import so many goods, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, we as in, in the U.S. consumers, right? We import so much. So much of what we consume comes from you know outside the world. And you think, okay, if the dollar is stronger, the stuff we are buying should be cheaper, right? As opposed to more expensive. And so you know prices should be going down. Reality is that look, a lot of invoicing around the dollar because we just talked about the dollar safe, right? A lot of invoicing is done in dollars anyway, around the world, right? So the price impact of you know, the dollar going up and reducing, you know, the price of imports isn't as big as, you know, you would think. And the reason is, like I said, uh, everything's priced in dollars anyway. You think about oil too, right? Yeah. Oil's also priced in dollars, right? No, that's not. Uh, I think that's basically it. And uh, the other side is that uh, I so far, what's actually surprising it is that it hasn't hit our exports yet. Because you think that's the other side of the coin of a stronger dollar is that U.S. you know products become expensive for everyone else in the world, mm-hmm. right? And you think, okay, people outside the world, uh, outside the U.S. would be reluctant to buy because these things are more expensive now. But we haven't really seen that this year. I think it's coming maybe next year or something like that. These things have some lag to you know how all of the prices and things like that propagate yeah. uh, into actual purchases. But uh, but so far so good. I mean, we haven't seen. An imp- huge impact, negative impact of a higher dollar on U.S. exports. Yeah, you said people outside the world there. It was a slip. But could you imagine somebody's looking down <laughs> at all the crazy stuff going on in our world right now? My goodness gracious. All right, define- I know Elon yeah. Musk wants to go to Mars. I mean, yeah. maybe he can buy some stuff no, that's from right. there and you know, improve our trade balance situation he's done a he's done a lot maybe he can so you know the final thing we want to talk about is earning season but we'll go to there in one second sono when you were 28 years old you know don't need to get too deep in this what were you doing oh goodness 28 i have to i have to run some numbers in my head i think i was just wrapping so that would have been 2006 i was i was in chicago i'd moved to chicago i was modeling derivatives i wrapped up my phd dissertation uh in may of that year so 
you go. That's when I got my degree. Okay. Well, and I joke that uh, it took me that long to figure out I don't want to do engineering anymore. So. <laughs> How many thousands of dollars did that cost you? But nonetheless, yeah, I was <laughs> I was working at a research shop in Cincinnati. But Ben Bernanke actually wrote a paper that he just this week got a Nobel Prize for when he was 28 years old. Yeah. So that kind of makes you feel like, oh, what wow. I do with my life. But anyway, so congrats to him there. And it's funny because he, he did not get the Nobel Peace Prize. It's not funny, but people get this confused. He didn't get the Nobel Peace Prize for how he looked at the world in 2008 and how he helped get us through the crisis. It's for this paper he wrote on a great, the Great Depression way back then. Um, so it's kind of related, yeah. too, with yeah. the financial crisis in a sense that I, I think the paper he wrote, not to go off totally in tangent yeah. on this, but I guess it's related in some form, that the paper he wrote was of how banking crises can relate, uh, lead to financial crises. Mm -hmm. Right, prices at banks and things yeah. like that can lead to financial crises and recessions, things like that. Yeah, and it's um, well, we've seen it, we've seen it before, and we might see it again. But the good news, we don't think we're going to see Hopefully one not. soon. So let's finish things. I've got a couple minutes left. Earnings season is upon us. I just want to do a little earnings preview. We'll probably dive more into earnings. Well, we will the next couple of weeks. How earnings are looking? Listen, we've had some high profile AMD just last week. Semiconductor said a billion dollars. Let you're talking some real money now from like six and a half billion to five and a half billion. Approximately their revenue dropped. Um, you know, we've seen Nike had some bad things to say for different different big companies have had so far some some disappointing things to say about this earnings season. Sony, do you think we're going to have positive earnings growth? That's expected at least. You think we can do that once again, eke out positive here in the third quarter? Yeah, you mentioned Nike, and I was just looking back and uh, towards the end of September, they said that this week, uh, connecting that to what we talked about with the dollar, right? Yeah. Uh, Nike said the dollar is impacting how much they're earning, right? Both in terms of revenue and income, all of that. And even ConAgra, uh, you know, a, a few weeks ago, they said the same thing. Same with McCormick Corporation. Mm -hmm. uh, all of them are being, they're saying the dollar is impacting how much we're going to make. It mostly looks 40% of S&P 500 revenues, uh, uh, S&P 500 company revenues come from outside the world. And so, you know, the dollar has an impact. Uh, but my, probably not as much time as everyone's out, time out, time out. You said outside the world again, Sonu. I don't know what's going on with you today. Yeah. Outside, outside I don't do yeah. how much revenue really comes from outside the world. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, excuse me there. That's but, all right. Uh, no, it's it just, you know. Uh, I think the whole world is one. But uh, there we go. There you go. But yeah, no, the dollar's at an impact, right? But probably not as much as we would expect because, like I said, a lot of things are invoiced in dollars anyway. But, yeah, coming to earnings growth, I think the earnings growth as of the end of the quarter was expected to be somewhere 2 percent 3% or so. And look, Ryan, you know the drill, right? Everyone oh, yeah. says, oh, earnings are going to be bad, earnings are going to be bad. But then, you know, surprise, surprise, 75, 80, you know, between 70 and 80% of companies always report a surprise, right? So... And usually, on average, uh, even if you take the last two quarters where the surprise has been on the lower side, right, about three, three and a half percent, you add that to about two and a half, three percent, looks like we'll probably get about six percent earnings growth, you know, for the third quarter. Uh, that that seems like that's where we will probably end up. I mean, you know, time will tell. Or the next few, next couple of weeks will really tell us. Oh, absolutely. And we'll, we'll talk about it. What's surprising is I know you like this as well, like industrials, right? There's some 
positive news there. I know we keep talking about the negative stuff. There's some positive stuff going on in industrials. There are. So if you look at what sectors are supposed to do the best, it's earnings growth. Energy is number one. But then industrials, I think that's kind of surprising. <laughs> Honestly, industrials is number two. We've seen some real, just keep it simple, relative strength. Look at industrials versus the S&P 500. Relative strength breaking out to the highest levels in well over a year. So there's some momentum going on from a technical point of view. Uh, you know, some of the defense names, your Raytheons, and, and some of those areas have done well. They're part of industrials, but just industrials in general. It's hard for me to see a global recession when I see industrials sporting some really strong earnings growth along with relative strength. Now, we're aware it's a slowdown, but 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 still, that's um that's a big positive. Um, You know, so I, I don't know. I mean, Can I say, uh, yeah, uh, go ahead. Add to that, yeah. Brian, uh, like for the third quarter, they're supposed to have the second highest industrial as a sector, supposed mm-hmm. to have second highest earnings growth uh, after energy, 24%. Yeah. Look, if you're having a recession here, global recession, industrial is not your pick, exactly like you said, right? By the way, you know what uh, industry group is also in industrials? Airlines. Yeah. So third quarter of 2021, I was looking at these numbers. They had a loss. I mean, aggregate, take all the airlines that we know of. I mean, that's in the S&P 500, your Southwest, mm-hmm. Delta, all of that, right? American, United. They had a loss of just about $730 million. Q3, third quarter of 2021. This year, they are projected to report a profit of 2.6 billion. Hmm. Right? This is this doesn't happen. And they still lose your bag. They still lose your bag. It's terrible. (laughs) That's why they're making money, maybe. (laughs) There you go. Because they don't get your bag outside. But yeah, yeah, you mentioned aerospace and defense. There's construction, engineering, and machinery, and you think of companies like Caterpillar, Cummins, Deere, John Deere, and company, and Dover Corporation, Road and Rail, Air Freight Logistics. I know we got some bad news from FedEx. That's part of right. Air Freight Logistics. But UPS is projected to do well. And right. yeah, no, I think there's some there's a positive story there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to a FedEx store yesterday to ship something. There are a lot of people in there. So anyway, that, that's that. There you but, go. but yeah, so so guys, we've kind of hit the end of the road on this week's uh, Facts versus Feelings podcast with Ryan and Sonu. We, we've had a lot of fun. We're going to continue to do this podcast. And next week, we'll dive into, I'm sure, earnings season, inflation, and whatever else is taking place out there. So thank you for being here. We'll see everybody next week. Take care. Information provided on Facts vs. Feelings with Sonal Varghese and Ryan Dietrich are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. The statements and opinions of show guests may not be reflected of CWM LLC or its affiliates. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested in directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principle. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Facts versus Feelings are not affiliated with CWM LLC.